things at once. You can't make them both the master. He says, in actual fact, one you'll love and one you'll learn to despise. And he's particularly... Whoa. This way, sec. We'll just wait for the machine to calm down. The treasurer is coming. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. It's okay. It's not the invasions of some, some creature from outer space. It's just, a, it's just an ethpos machine. And everybody said? Now we're just gonna we just wait for a moment. See, when you start to worry about money, it's going to worry you. <laughs> Don't worry, not, not everybody's looking at you over there. Don't. I'm not looking at you. We could take that machine somewhere else, couldn't we? Like the bin. <laughs> we could shoot it. <laughs> Is it all good? It's all good. Okay. Okay. Do you reckon you can come back? Is that okay? Come back in. So, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is saying something about money. Um, <laughs> I think he just said something. But we, the reality is, as we look at this verse, he says, you know what? You can't have divided loyalties. You can't be focused on one thing and then and, and, you know, say you're focused on one thing, but really living kind of secretly for something else. Uh, you know, Jesus particularly pinpoints money here. He says you can't serve God in money. It could be anything in your life today. The reality is you could, serve, you could be serving God and other people. Now, we need to serve other people, but when other people dictate to you how you should live, that means you're serving them. <laughs> you could be, it could be today that you serve God and um, your work. Now, you mightn't say that, but you know, you spend six days a week, 12 hours a day. You know, you've got to think about it. it. And I know that sometimes jobs demand that, but in your heart, is that where your heart is and not maybe where it should be? So, you know, there's many things. We can serve certain lusts, can't we? We can say, God, I love you, but lust continues to grab our heart and divide our loyalties away from God's purpose. So we see that there's many things, but Jesus particularly mentions something today, and he says you can't serve God and money. It's an impossibility. Please understand that he says it's not like we need to hate money. You don't need to hate money because money is vitally important, isn't it? We need money to live life. 
It's not, as I said, it's not like God is at one end of the scale, the really good end, and that money's at the bad end of the scale. No, 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 there's no scale. God, God and money are important. It's just that you need to make sure you keep the money and whatever else in your life that wants to try and rule in the right priority in the right place. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And when you try to serve two things, it creates incredible stress. Because he goes on to say, do not worry about what you should put on or what you should, um, uh, what clothes, or don't worry about, um, you know, things like these things. Because the truth is, is when you worry about money and you start to get stressed about it, that's exactly what you get concerned about, stuff. You start to be focused on stuff. I haven't got enough stuff. And so you work longer hours so you can get more stuff to make yourself more happy or to make your family more happy. But unfortunately, um, you know, what happens is uh, you, you can't enjoy the stuff because you're working so hard to, um, uh, to get the stuff that you can't enjoy because you're working long hours. And, and your family just doesn't want more stuff. They just want you sometimes. Isn't that true? And so we've got to just uh, realize it. that's why Jesus says... You know, can't serve God in money because it's so, it creates worry, concern, stress, and anxiety. Because it's, it's not so much money that creates that, it's the divided loyalties that creates that. So we've got to be careful about what's, how we live life. But in saying that, I, I do want to just touch on this whole thing of money because sometimes we think money and God don't go together. I want to tell you they go together perfectly. They go together perfectly, and I want to just, because when it says, you know, you can say, well, God, you know, it says not to serve money, um, but, I, but I, the truth is, why? Let's ask that question. Why shouldn't we serve money? Why shouldn't we? Th- there must be a reason. Let me just, let me give you some reasons. Is that cool today? Some biblical thought around this whole thing of sometimes money. I've, I've actually gone to some p- people and and talked to some pastors in other places and other churches, and they said, um, and they've said to me, "Don't you ever talk about money in church?" I said, "Why?" Well, you know, it's just not, in, it's just not important. I said, "Why would you not talk about something that Jesus talks about in so many 162 different verses in the Bible? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you talk about when Second Corinthians has two chapters devoted to money? Why, why wouldn't you talk about something that's biblical?" So, you know, I think it's important that we do. We kind of talk about this and see the place. See, the first thing that I think Jesus um, had to say, and the reason that he warns us about money, is because money has no eternal value in itself. Does that make sense? It has no eternal value. Jesus had a question in Matthew 16, 26. He says, For what does it profit a man or a woman or a person if they gain the whole world and lose their own soul? Or what will a man or woman give in exchange for their soul? Good questions. Would you agree? Um, Your soul is that part of you which is eternal. Okay, It's eternal. It'll never die. It's going to spend eternity somewhere. Um, Your riches and wealth has a limited life but. Okay, your stuff has a limited life. We all understand that this morning. To gain the whole world would take a lot of money too. When Jesus says you gain the whole world, to gain a whole world would take a lot of money. You, you can read it like this. What does it profit a person to gain a lot of money and lose his own soul? I was uh, in a news agency the other day and, um, and uh, I was buying a couple of pencils for Michelle because she was doing some, wanting to do some drawing and and artwork and just relax. And so as I was there at the counter, I noticed a sign there behind the counter. It said, uh, uh, forgive me, but I don't know exactly the days, but it said on, on Tuesday, I think it was, you could win 10 million on 
What's it called? Gold Lotto or whatever it's called? I really haven't got a lot of information about it. But, and then it said on Thursday, if you put your numbers in, you could win um, 20,000. And then on Saturday, you could win 50 or something like that. It wasn't thousand, sorry. It was million. So that bit I got wrong. It was million. And I started to just dream. Have you ever caught yourself dreaming about that? Oh, what I could... You know, because the ad comes up, up on television, you know. And you see this couple on a beach, and you know they've bought the islands, and you know, <laughs> and you start to and you start to dream about that, and and then I catch myself and say, you know, it'd be great to have it, but you know, if if I if I'm not the kind of person I want to be um, with it, I'm not going to be the type of you know without it, I'm never going to be the first type of person I need to be with with it. It shouldn't really change us, and and so I, I was just thinking, 50 million. And I thought, and as I looked at that, I thought, you know what? Even 50 million, I still can't take it with me. Still couldn't take it with me. <laughs> what a shame. But you can't because, you know, it's not necessary. It's an earthly thing. Money has, is, has no eternal value. And, we can, and, so, and the question is asked, what can we give in exchange for our soul? And at the end of many people's lives, and I've been there at the end of many people's lives, quite literally beside their bed in the hospital, and I tell you what, not one of them would exchange anything they've got. Um, oh, sorry, they will all exchange everything they've got for one thing, and that's eternal life, an eternal future, and a peace within the heart to know that they've got a place in heaven. Uh, that's what they'd give. It, you can have the lot, because at that moment in their lives, as I've seen people breathe their last, my dad, um, nearly quite literally my father-in-law this past month. I wasn't exactly there at the moment, but it was there hours before. You, you know, the truth is one thing they're looking for is they're looking for a peace and a hope for life after death. And I want to tell you there's only one faith, there's only one belief system in the world that offers that because it's the true, and that's, the, that's through Jesus Christ. It's not Hindu, is it? It's not Muslim. Now, sometimes they offer reincarnation. You know, the, who does that? Hindu, I don't want to come back as a frog. I don't, I don't want to come back as some of the. I want to, you know, I want to continue to live in the promises that God has for me, and heaven is that destination. So, you know, uh, the exciting thing is, is that we need to, we need to take what is temporary, the stuff, the money, and use it to invest in something eternal. That's the way to wisely use money, and we have the same. You can take. We, we can give the temporary riches. Um, uh, when we, sorry, will we give the temporary riches or, or will we to further eternal processes or will we keep the earthly riches to ourselves and never uh, on this earth, on this lifetime, ever benefit any eternal existence? You know, I'm just glad to be a part of 30 years in India, just a little part of it. Just a little part. How was I a little part? How were you a little part of 30 years in India? And later, 125,000 people have come to Jesus Christ in 40 years. How'd, well, we used, actually invested our money to see that happen. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's an internal investment. That's how we need to do it. See, this morning, we could take this $50 note, and, um, and you, could, uh, you could look at this $50 note. There's nothing of value in this piece of paper or plastic in itself. It probably costs 10 cents to produce. I don't know. Anybody know how much it costs to produce? It's really, you know, it's got no value within itself. It's got no value. The only value is what I give it. And the value of this $50 is determined on how I use it. 
See, I could take $25 of it and I'll buy food for my family for two days. In Australia, and, and that's pretty good. Then I could take another, I think that's a good investment. I want my, because the Bible says, keep some of the seeds so you can feed yourself. And then there's uh, maybe $15 of it I could give um, to uh, Pastor Pompey, not to him personally, but he could take that and he can go and feed four families in India for a week with $15 maybe, because there's better value there. That's in a real investment in someone else's life. That's an eternal investment. Then I could take the last $10 and I could sow it into some kind of um, a, a, you know, interest-bearing account and gain more money in five years so I can have more money so they can be a greater blessing. Or maybe invest it in a property, that $10, and, and build the money up and buy a property so in 30 years I leave a great inheritance for my children to have money so they can exist and be a blessing to someone else. I think that's a good way to look at money. No value, it's only what you add to it. It's not worth a thing. So uh, Jesus, I said, I think he, he dealt with it. He says, no, money has no, no eternal, it's got no eternal value. Here's the other thing about money, I think Jesus, the reason Jesus didn't say, he said don't serve money, because money has no regard for life. No regard at all. 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And because of the love of money, not money itself, one, and Paul says to Timothy, it's the love of it. It's not money. Money's not the problem. It's the love of it. You, you've heard that. It destroys relationships and families because, um, you know, which is one of the most precious things that God has instituted on the earth. The love of money has a way of tearing people apart when they fight over inheritance. I've, not my particular family, but I've got an extended family. I think, my goodness. So, the, right now, the, the family is just totally dysfunctional because they, the parents died suddenly and left this incredible inheritance. And all these siblings just fought tooth it. And the, and the lawyers got $300,000 of it. <laughs> that's sad, isn't it? See, that's what money does. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. It breaks people down. It, it destroys people. If they have a love for it. Um, unfortunately, a high percentage of people who do win some kind of gold lotto or whatever it may be, don't know how to handle it and end up with much sorrow. 70% of people who win millions within 12 months have got less than when they started with before they had the millions. Isn't that a sad statistic? So it's obviously there's something wrong in some ways with the love of money doesn't work for people. We've got to be careful, haven't we? There was a, there was a disciple called Judas, and he betrayed the Son of God. He betrayed Jesus because of the love of money. And... Uh, he would then, be, because of the love of money, isolated himself from the rest of the disciples and eventually his own life was taken because of the, because of the problems of putting money in the wrong priority. We see that there was a, a man called Samson and he had a girlfriend named Delilah in the Old Testament. You know, Samson, who was incredibly strong, um, he could kill the lion. He killed the lion. He had, and as long as his hair grew, he, he remained in his strength. And we see that this, because of the greed that Delilah had for money, she betrayed her boyfriend, Samson, uh, to the Philistines. And, both, and he lost his life, partly because of his foolishness as well, but ultimately also because of her greed for something, for this money thing. There was another couple in the New Testament called Ananias and Sapphira. Some of you might have read about them. And they were actually believers in God. And they had property. And they lied, it says to the Holy Spirit. They lied to God and the Holy Spirit. 
about it and lost their lives because they put something first. So we can see money is not just a poor master, folks. It is a destructive master, if not put in the right place. See, one of the richest men in the world, Solomon, said this. He had everything. He said, the person who trusts in riches, who trusts in riches, it's not the person who has riches, but the person who trusts in riches, in Proverbs chapter eleven twenty eight, will fail. That's what Solomon said. Had all the, he had so much money, so much stuff, so many things. And yet he said, you know what? If you trust in that stuff, it'll bring you down. Does that mean you shouldn't have it? No, have it all. Have as much as you can. Just have it in the right priority. Because we're blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. See, there's another reason that Jesus says don't serve money. Because the love of money can stop people from using it wisely. The love of it can stop people from using it wisely. You know, when you get too much of something, unfortunately, human nature, it's not with everybody, I'm not saying this, but you get too much of something and you just feel, oh, you can just throw it here and throw it there and whatever it may be in life. I've got plenty of that stuff, you know, yeah, yeah. And we unwisely use what we've got. And we need to take every set and be wise with it. Everything that we have, be wise with it. Money can cause so much joy but, and when used wisely. But money, when it is loved above everything else, it blinds people uh, from, what, from using it for good. And, of course, the worship of money makes people getters and not givers. And God's whole nature is to be a giver. See, Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, There is people who scatter, yet increase. Isn't that Proverbs eleven twenty four? There's people who scatter, yet increase. And yet there's people who withhold more than they should. So it's not saying that you shouldn't have some for yourself. I'm not saying that. It's just saying people who withhold more than they should, and yet come. And what happens, it leads to poverty. Isn't it interesting? You give out, it leads to blessing. You withhold and it leads to poverty. The world would say, keep it for yourself. It'll lead to much riches. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's amazing how it works, isn't it? And as Christians, God just says, you know, as we're givers, you'll find that it'll be given back. What an incredible God we serve. I think he wants to look after us. You know, the wonderful thing about Matthew, we read earlier what Matthew said. He says, you know what? Here's the antidote for this whole thing. He says in Verse 33 of Matthew 6, he says, Seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, and all these things, talking about life and clothing and food, all these things will be what? Added unto you. Jesus had the antidote. Jesus had the answer for it. He says, you know what? If you put God in his rightful place in your life, on the throne of your life, he says, you know what? God, you can trust him. You can be confident in him. You can be full of faith in him that he will actually add to your life the things that you basically need for life. That doesn't mean you just sit back and say, well, I'm just trusting in God and never work. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the reality is, is that God is a provider for those who put him first. He's an incredible provider. He looks after you. I love the stories of Christian men and women in past eras. I found it fascinating to read their biographies. And there was a man's life called Mr. Mr. Craft. Do you know what Mr. Craft, his company was? Craft, yeah, cheddar cheese. Interesting, isn't it? But Mr. Craft was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a Christian, born-again Christian. And he was a man that, as a young man, 
walked through, pushed a cart through the streets of New York selling originally milk, not cheese. We know that cheese comes from milk, so that's how that kind of eventuated. But he was pushing a milk cart through the streets of New York, and he was selling his milk. And out of the meager profit that he made, he would make sure that he actually gave a tenth of that into the local, local church or the local work of God that he was involved in. Do you know the interesting thing is, is that as his, little, his empire grew and grew and grew, and, uh, that, and from his humble beginnings... Uh, it actually says that uh, he took his organization to be a multi-million dollar organization. And you can buy Kraft cheddar cheese, I think, on the shelves of any supermarket still today in Australia. Is that true? I haven't really looked too often, but I'm sure it's there. So the, the truth is, is that he made a commitment in his early days to make sure that he was a person who sowed something of his profits. As meager as his profits were, he still was willing to give. And from that grew something incredible. There's another guy called Mr. William Colgate. You probably used his product this morning. Who uses Colgate toothpaste? So um, I use Sensodyne these days. <laughs> and if you're over 50, you understand what I'm talking about. You know the ad on telly? Ooh, cold stuff, hot stuff. Can't, you know... So it's fantastic, Sensodyne. I think um, Colgate actually produced something like that, don't they? Actually, maybe they produced Sensodyne. I don't know. Anyway, but uh, Mr. Colgate was an interesting story. His biography goes like that. He too was a Christian man with a strong giving theology. And uh, in his early days, he gave a tenth of his income. He eventually got to the point where his empire grew so much, he gave two tenths of his profits to the, the work of God somewhere, in local church and somewhere like that. And then eventually he was giving five 50% of his profits to God's service for eternal purposes. And eventually when he retired, he actually was giving 100% of his profits from the Colgate Toothpaste Company into the work of God, and he just lived off his savings. Wow. What a man. That's incredible, isn't it? Um, I'm not kind of uh, uh, assuming that, and I'm not trying to suppose today that we all go and make a, go and start a big company that's just going to do amazing things. If you want to do that, go for it. That's okay. But you know what? Just honor God with what you get. To start, you know, many, 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 many years ago, I just started so small and I just thought, God, this is hard. I get $10 a week, but I'm going to give a dollar. And I used to think that someone had cut my throat, I tell you. <laughs> Isn't it amazing when you grow in faith as you go on in life, how much you really can give and still find that God provides for you? It's amazing. And I'm just glad that, you know, that I, I, I've, it's a growing process of learning, hey, that you can trust God. That you, and God gives us the grace to grow in that. He does. He understands we've got to grow in that sometimes in our giving. Um, so God has created a way for us to invest in eternal purposes. And one of those ways, um, it, personally, um, it, it, I find, is giving of tithes. Offerings is, tithe is a tenth, offering is above that. It's interesting, the Bible talks about it um, clearly. And it doesn't talk about it because, you know, often sometimes we think, oh, well, you just talk about tithes for the church is saying, no, no, I talk about tithes because I know how much it's been a blessing to me. And I know how much it is a blessing to people when they understand this principle. Um, it's incredibly powerful, incredibly wonderful to be able to be released from that, um, that the chains of 
the, the, the love of money and just be able to be a giver and not be free of that burden and to live free and say, I can be a give, I can support, I can encourage, I can give. And I don't feel hassled about it. I actually feel privileged to do it. And uh, it's a great, you know, there was a, there's a great story because tithing is for today. I was uh, reading this wonderful story about a church in Kansas, America. And there was an American American church, and they asked a local member of their church to be their treasurer. He, he was the manager of the, because they lived in a community of, of farming community, and he was the manager of the grain silos in that community. You know the grain and the big tall silos, and they fill them up with grain, and then they you know, send them out to people, uh, export it or sell it to people around the nation of America. And so they agreed that they would employ him as the treasurer. And he said, if you want me to be the treasurer, two conditions. They said, what conditions? He said that I'll never have to produce a financial report for 12 months. They said, oh, well, yeah, I suppose that's okay. Usually it's only every 12 months we audit anyway. So no. And secondly, you'll never ask me any questions about the finance for 12 months. And they said, oh, well, you know, they knew he was a man of integrity. And he was honest. So they said, okay, if that's your deal, let's go for it. So 12 months went past. They checked the books. They got it audited. Everybody was amazed. As they went through the books, uh, it was amazing what had happened. The debt on the church building had paid. The salaries of every staff member had been paid. Uh, they had a new van that they'd purchased and paid in full. All missionary commitments had been met. And there was extra dollars in the bank still, thousands of dollars. And they said to the, the, to the treasurer, how did you do it? How did you do it? He said, well, you know, I asked you not to talk to me for 12 months, which I'm thankful you didn't. But he said, every time you bring your grain to the grain silo, I take 10% of your grain and put it away. And the money, money earned, you didn't, I, I, 10% would go to the church profits. And none of you missed it. And as we sold 10% of all your grain, every time you brought it, what we found was I didn't give you that money when I sold your grain. I kept it for the church and you never said anything because none of you really under, knew what was happening and none of you seemed to miss it. And the church profits grew and I was able to pay off all the debt. And I found that the principle of giving and you shall receive was incredibly put into place. And on your behalf, you've been a great blessing to the kingdom of God. And they said, well, you can have the job for a lifetime if you want it. And you know, the principle is there, isn't it? It works. It works. I've discovered that tithing is not something you do because you can afford it. It's something to do to honor God. Just to honor Him. It's an act of obedience. It's an act of trust. It's an act of faith. It's an act of confidence in Him. Saying, God, you know, I just don't want you to have my heart. I want you to have every part of me, even my hip pocket. I want you to have my life. We see in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, there's a verse in the passage that some of us would be familiar with today. And it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. Wow, that's a heavy statement. God's declaring, He says, You've robbed me. But you're saying, What way have we robbed you? It's great how God puts this conversation. And He says, In times and offerings, you are. In tithes, you are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Try me, and this says the Lord of hosts. If, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to, to re receive it. Interesting, isn't it? I was just contemplating the realities of tithes, and I think, God, you say that we rob you of tithes. And I started to think about the reality is that the truth is God would never ask me for anything or say I robbed him if it wasn't his in the first place. 
you know, you think about if you're robbed, it was yours to start with, and so someone's taken it from you. I kind of get the sense from this passage that my finance really was all God's anyway. <laughs> and that's why he says, you know, I give it to you because I want you to make a choice about it. I want you to, to you, I never want to force it from your hand. I never want to squeeze it out of your hand. You've got to make the decision. But you know what? It was all mine. And when you don't give it, it's like robbing me. Wow. I thought, God, you know, this thought came to me and I thought, God, is that what I've been doing sometimes? Now, God's very gracious with me. He doesn't strike me with lightning. He doesn't kind of beat me over the head. He, he still gives me grace and love. But the reality is, is that he puts some pretty heavy thoughts here. And he says, come on. He says, don't rob me. Uh, realize that in actual fact, when you give the tenth, it might be the tithe, and there might be offerings that you do for something else. But you know what? You've got a fair portion of what's left over that I've given you that you can have for yourself. Wow, God's generous. Instead of me saying, well, I'm being so generous, I want you to see the fact that God's incredibly generous to us. It's a different mindset. Different mindset. So we have to be aware of that. Can I have the singers and the, uh, our team back up? Thanks. So I see that tithes and offerings is a practical and scriptural way to put God first with your money. And at the same time, you know... Um, we're making sure our heart's in the right place, I suppose. And you know, it says in Malachi chapter 3, 8 to 10 here, it says, you know, when you're willing not open the windows of heaven. You know, I've discovered that when I give in for eternal purposes into God's kingdom, that I'm actually declaring something. I'm, I'm rebuking the, the devourer who wants to consume my money. When I give, I'm declaring something. I'm saying, I am not subject to the world's economy. I'm going to be subject to God's economy. And God's economy is not an economy of poverty or lack. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. It's, it's, the truth is when you present yourself finances to God, it, the truth is, is that he continues to add everything, as it says in Matthew 6.33. Seek him first and he'll make sure these things are added unto you. I find it works, folks. God, God allows it to work. And when I'm putting, um, making sure that I'm subject to his economy... I'm declaring that depression, inflation, poverty, lack, debt have no power over me. That's the reality. Tithes and offerings are a declaration of your independence from the world's economy and your dependence on God's economy. It's a wonderful way to live life. I'm very aware that it's easy for me to stand here today and say this because I lived in a pretty blessed country. Um, there's been times when I've had to learn uh, in those early days when I gave up two wages of an engineering wage and a dental wage to come and serve God and come to a one pastor's wage and have a, a child in the first year of our pastoring. You know what? It was a joy to do that. And I never thought about the financial consequences of it. I just jumped in. But I found that there was times I'd walk up the, the uh, aisle of the supermarket and I'd say, well, we can't buy that today, can we? And I can't have that. I'm going to have to have the wheat meal biscuits, not the Tim Tams. <laughs> I'm going to have to just buy two liters of milk and not the three liter bottle. That's okay. We can get, you know what? I never got skinny. I never once got skinny. I still had plenty of fat. I actually always had a bed. I actually always, 
And you know what the exciting thing was? I always had a good, good marriage because I decided not to let money be the struggle in my life. I wanted to make sure that I put the important things in life first, and that was God, family, all those type of things that are really important. And you know what? As I continued to be faithful, as I said, it, it seemed like difficult in those early days just to give a little bit because we didn't have a lot. But I'm so grateful that I did because now I can give a lot more and I can be a greater blessing and see greater eternal things come to pass. And I'm so grateful to a God that's, I've proven him faithful. He says, test me in this, says the Lord, Malachi chapter 3. And you know, I've been able to, and God's come through. He can come through for all of us. I just want to encourage you today. I think when Jesus spoke about putting him first and he spoke about money, he was clearly talking about the realities of making sure that really he wants us to live a blessed life, a life in joy and peace and hope in the future. Can we stand this morning as we close? That would be great. We're about to take up our first fruits in a month or so. You might know what first fruits is. We'll talk about that with you, but it involves giving. Uh, but it's something that as a church generally, it's a free will offering. It's not compulsory. It's just something that we invite you to engage in. It's a great opportunity, and we've seen wonderful things happen. And we'll talk to you about that because we've got some portion of that money that's going to go into missions that we're really excited about. And uh, so we'll uh, have a chat about that in the near future. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you this day. I thank you, God, that you're an incredible provider for us, that you've proven yourself that you continue to prove yourself to us. And we ask as we walk into this day, into this week, that, Lord, we'll, uh, Lord be aware, to not just in money, but in life, be givers. It's a smile. It's our love. It's our support. It's our word of encouragement. It's our time that you seek our whole life. And we thank you for the opportunity to do that for you. And we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Everyone agree, said? Amen. Amen. Come on, let's just sing this one last song. And then we're going to close. Finish. Thank you.